The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this episode, does your work provide more than money? We all need to get paid for our work. But does it provide you with anything beyond the money? Does it provide other value to you? Does it provide value to others? It's a big question that's worth pondering and being very cognizant of every day. Well, I ask the Ziegler audience this question. What value does your work provide beyond making money to pay for your life? Uh, well over 60 lengthy comments came uh, about people's work, and some realized they were only focused on money, and this really caused them to ponder that. But there was a lot that cited work that they cared deeply about that provided great meaning to them and service to others, or maybe it just provided for them well so that they could uh, do other things on the side that had great meaning to themselves and others. Uh, there's a couple who said, I don't need money anymore, but they work to bless other people. And we covered some important ground for all of us, again, to consider regarding not only what we all get from our work, but what the end user of the product or service that we represent gets. This show is going to give you, I think, great gratitude and confirmation for your work, cause you to ponder more breadth out of your work, in and out of your work, or possibly show you you may need to be looking for other work. That's a great reality and clarity as well. Well, Tom and I are going to start talking through the comments right after I share some great products and services with you. Well, Tom, this question of what value does your work provide beyond making money to pay for your life? I mean, we know the stats and I think anybody would be aware if you have work that means more than a paycheck, if it has any purpose, if you care about it, if you enjoy it, uh, it makes your entire life better. Statistically, uh, we, we see people make more money at that. And I think that goes into the face sometimes of the thought of, well, you know, you get a good job over here, but if you're going to do what you like, it's, you're going to have to take a pay cut. We hear those stories sometimes, but statistically that's not it. If we like it, we tend to invest more, we give more to it. We're smarter in it and we tend to make more money overall. But to some degree, my point was just to bring awareness. What a great thing for us all to sit back and think, what does my work provide beyond money? What does it provide me? Uh, my family and others, you know, the, ultimately everything we work at provides a product or service to somebody. What is that value? And this, I mean, my gosh, you're, you're kind of like me, your life, you've probably never really known anything different than that. Have you? You know, not really. I, I worked in a few different jobs before I came home in the company and, uh, that was 34 years ago about when I started working, uh, of course, I feel like I was born into personal development, motivation, success, training, yeah. speaking, all of that. So, yeah, I can't really even remember back to when I was doing something different. Well, and that I, it was a gift that I can say that I experienced as well. I never knew my father uh, to work at anything that he wasn't interested in. He always owned his own business. He was always interested in it. Either it was fun or he saw an altruistic purpose or whatnot. And I'm grateful to have continued on and to always had care about what I would purpose again, that word. So I don't have, we did not categorize these. Sometimes we do. I'm just going to kind of take them first come first serve some of the responses here and throw them at us. Uh, Tars Thomas, he says, this has always bothered me about finding jobs just for money. And I'm working on changing it by doing something every day that excites me and helps people in some way, even if it's just entertainment. And it was interesting that he posted that because I often see people who have a job and if it does not have 
a tangible purpose or interest to them, they will more so than the, than, than those who do, they will find another outlet. I mean, we just need to, well, unfortunately, a lot of us will fill that outlet by being voyeuristic. You know, we'll just go watch a great story or watch something of interest on a TV. But a lot of these people will find something on the side. They'll have a hobby. They'll volunteer at something, something that has some meaning to it. Because I think as humans, we, we just, we have to, we have to, our, our soul cries for some meaning and purpose. We're going to, if we can't find it at work, we're going to do it elsewhere. We don't do it there. Unfortunately, we're going to do it uh, artificially through a screen. And of course, as we all know, that's increasing at, at an unfortunate rate. It is, you know, and I've seen it too, where people almost feel guilty that golly, they're just working for the money and they never get fully invested into it. Uh, and I, you know, it, it's really interesting to me that, and I've worked with people with all kinds of work, right? Whether they're trades or service or professional skills or whatever, some of them are just like enamored in it. They just, they just, love and appreciate what they do. They're just grateful that they get to do that. And others are kind of like, eh, you know, if something better come along, I might do that. But there's one surefire method uh, that I've found if you're struggling with what you're doing is you can, you can do very well and keep doing what you're doing, but just, just change the intent of what you're doing. In other words, you know, dad had this great quote. He said, you don't build a business, you build people mm. and people build the business. And so whatever work you do, let the work and the professionalism speak for itself. But realize you're in the people business. You're solving problems and making a difference in the lives of other people. And that to me has always been uh, what it, what's that quote, Kevin? If uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah. I, what do you think about that quote? Do you like that quote? Nope. <laughs> I sure don't. <laughs> How about you? I disagree with it. I, I mean, too. I agree. It's, I, I agree that it's good to love what you do. Yeah. Uh, but here's another thing is they did a, they did a survey. I think I heard this from Rabbi Daniel Lappin um, where they they, they took a bunch of people who were like in their eighties, right? They'd had a long successful career, but these were people who were, you know, garbage collectors yeah. and, you know, just kind of the, you know, very meaningful work and important for society, but not work that people would say is on the, you know, on the prestige totem pole. Right. Yeah. And they asked them, uh, what do you think of your life? And, Almost all of them said, I love my life. Yeah. Well, would you change anything? Oh, absolutely not. And so I think that's one of the interesting things is no matter what we do, we have the choice, the ability to love what we do, Yeah. right? To do what we do with a difference. And so if you find what you love, you, you know, if what you, if you, if your work is what you love, you'll never work a day in a life. I love what I do. In some weeks, I come home worn out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the best parts of my work—it's—it's it's hard work. It's—it's. It's, yeah. I mean, you got to think. You're right. You know, writing a book, man. You got to think. You got to. It's taxing work. But I've never had a day uh, in, in loving my work. I, I've never had a day where I woke up with dread. 
you know, looking forward to the day or the, you know, the consummate Sunday night thing. I mean, isn't that the stat, something that more heart attacks happen Sunday night or Monday morning, something like that? Monday morning. Monday morning. That I can't, man, I'm, I'm generally looking for, I mean, I, I look forward to my work. I look forward to, you know, some of the days, the weekends when I don't do it, man, I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, here's a couple. These are interesting. Uh, you know, both of these guys, Steve Rosen, he says, I work primarily for the fulfillment it brings. My retirement income is enough. However, I came out of retirement, not for the money, but for the enjoyment I find in doing what I do. And he's a fitness uh, professional. So he's just restarted that again. Well, right after his post, literally the next one was Howard Partridge, uh, Ziegler's uh, 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 business coach. He says, uh, making a diff- his point is making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, but what I've found is the money is the fuel to make a difference by hiring more people so they can fulfill their dreams and serving more people. And the last show that I did with Howard, he talked about that, that he's at a point, uh, an incredible blessed point. He's been so successful with business. He does not need to work to provide income for himself at this point, but he does so because of purpose. I just did a show. It was actually the true life Pod, my True Life podcast, episode 37, we recorded this morning and talked about that, about how retirement, to speak of that, we often find, and you see this, Tom, we find people who retire and their demise accelerates because all of a sudden there's no purpose. And I know that your dad, Zig, what was his statement about retirement? Well, he was he was uh, quoting some others, okay. but in, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for retirement. <clears throat> It's never mentioned in, in the Bible. Uh, and the connotation is, is that retirement simply means, hey, I'm done. Everybody serve me. And I believe we were created to serve other people, right? Yeah. We were created to serve those around us. So, you know, what I like to have is, you know, maybe you're, you're graduating, you're moving above and beyond whatever it is your main career has been. You're moving to a higher, higher level of service. Uh, somebody on the Uh, on the Facebook uh, feed said, hey, they work at the Salvation Army or they might volunteer there. And what a great thing to do if if you are in a position where you have extra time to serve and continue to work, but just in a different way, your mission is a higher calling. Yeah, which we do. I do see great uh, fruitions in retirement with people who don't have to work, but they'll go, yeah, and serve somewhere that is meaningful to them and to others. Uh, so here, I'll just keep going. Kim Duncan, she says, I re- recently started a new job working in my local running store. When I hear a customer tell me the shoes I just fitted them in feel amazing, I know I've done my job. That's the kind of person I want to buy shoes from, not somebody who's just there for an hourly paycheck. And yeah, man, if, if I was just, well, even as a kid, I mean, you know, we, most of us had, did have different odd jobs as a kid. I worked at the local bike store. Uh, you know, buy, they sold bikes and ski equipment and all the stuff that I loved and we got discounts on it. And so it was fun stuff. Why would I not do that? You know, why would you not do that as a kid as a, and, and, and go someplace to sell something you don't care about at all? But unfortunately, as with a lot of things of, of ill health, we have normalized that. And now we've got the funny shows like The Office and the funny uh, comics like Dilbert they're funny, but it's really sad as can be that that's the depiction, the exaggerated depiction of the dysfunction and the dissatisfaction and sadness we have by spending our days at something that does not have meaning. 
It does not, again, even just interest, just something that you enjoy, a product that you like. Tom, you'd be a great grill salesman. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, quit pointing out my habits. That's a good one. I like that one. I remember years ago, so I'm going back probably 25 years ago, and I'll just, I'll just give an example of work. Uh, we <clears throat> had a, a training contract with a division at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. So DFW Airport, one of the largest airports in the world, uh, the Ziegler organization went into training, and Chris Dunham was our trainer. And what he was doing was team building and customer service training for the group of employees who manned the toll booths. So back in that days, as this is before the electronics, you know, and the digital, yeah, uh, you would go into the airport, you would get a ticket and you have a timestamp on it. And when you left, you'd give them the ticket and they would tell you how much your parking was. So it might be a quarter, it might be a few bucks. It just depended back then on how long you were in the airport. And when they brought him in, they said, uh, hey, we've got a real challenge with our team. And they're not getting along. And he said, well, can you give me the basics of it? And they said, well, we've got two, basically, we've got 50-50 employees. We've got uh, 50% of the workforce are Americans. They were born in the U.S. They've been here. And then we have 50% of our workforce are immigrants. They're legal immigrants. They've come from other countries. And he said, you know, our working conditions is Texas, it gets hot. It's like 100, 110 degrees in the summer outside, and it gets cold in the winter. And these little toll booths, you know, the door's always opening, and it can be a little unpleasant. And so the problem is, this person said, is that our native-born American citizens, they complain all the time. Yeah, I knew where that was going. Yeah, They complain all the time because the weather's bad and people are angry and all these issues. And the, the people, the immigrants from other countries, they love the job because in their mind, they've got their own private office and they get to, they get to talk all day long to different people. And so the point is, is that isn't it amazing how yeah. our view of what we do will literally increase or sabotage the satisfaction we get yeah. in what we do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just a matter of perception. Well, speaking of perception, absolutely. And, and, you know, that goes in line too, with just, you know, what's the stat Tom on an immigrant, uh, uh, immigrants are far more X amount likely to become millionaires in America than Americans. Yeah. It's like, uh, five legal times? immigrants legal because that's the, only yeah, yeah, yeah. the stats on, uh, I think it was like three times more likely to become a millionaire. Yeah. And it's because people who come to the to to uh United States from other countries, they know we're the land of opportunity. They know that there are fewer barriers uh to, to, to going through and achieving what it is that they want. And yeah. that's the other thing is is why do you work in the first place? If you let the why you work fuel what you want. And people from other countries they're usually coming here. Their why is to create a better life. Their why is to bring their family up with them to have extra left over to send back or to invest in a home here to raise the standard, to get their kids the right kind of education. And so their work motivation is driven by a big why. And when the why is front and center, 
that generally changes how you do your work. Yeah. In other words, if you've got a real compelling why, then your work is going to show that and your quality of work is going to be higher. If, on the other hand, you kind of have that entitlement approach of, hey, why do I have to work? This isn't fair. Is this the only job I could get? Then that attitude is going to show through in your work and the ability for you to progress and get promoted and move into the things you you love to do or want to do more are going to be hindered. You know, you talking about us talking about immigrants uh, in that. So we, we knew I were talking about high altitude and oxygen and all that kind of stuff earlier too. The we we went through a, a few years of some elite athletes coming to our home up in the mountains to do altitude training, and they were uh, Ethiopia. They're mo- most of them for Ethio- from Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, whatnot. That were training with our army's program. Uh, I forget what it's called. It was the whatever it's with the army uh, has them come in. They join the army and are part of that and then run for America, you know, in the Olympics, but we're used to seeing these Kenyan runners just, you know, dominate. And it was so interesting that they get a claim here in the States, obviously as elite runners, but what they are most proud of, what they talked about most is their homeland. They send money home and the amount of people that they support there when they go there and run through the streets with their families, with their kids or with the kids there uh, was such, yeah, again, a bigger why than they're often, you know, American compatriots are just doing it for their own fame and fortune. And that's not to diss us, but it is to, you know, look back at the, what's our overall perspective. You are listening to the Ziegler show and this episode on the value our work provides beyond money. Next, I read a comment from a lady who cites her recent realization that her sole focus has been really the money she makes in her work and not the people she is actually serving. So we'll jump right back into that after I share some great products and services with you. What Jackie Bledsoe here, she's the next comment. She talks about that. She says, just today, I had this thought and it hit me hard, really convicted me as I realized my focus is many times uh, it's more on making a living for myself and my family than it is focused on making a difference and adding tons of value to the people I believe I am called to serve. That realization shocked and humbled the heck out of me. And it kind of hurt uh, when you see something in yourself like that, that is not very flattering. That was a big part of me posting this to look at, you know, there's one thing to question where we work. Do we have purpose in it? Do we enjoy it? Do we care about what we're doing? Okay, so that's one thing. Then the other one that I I see is, you know, who are we serving in the end? Who is the end recipient of our product and service, which is a growing issue in our culture as people work in organizations that are so far in the background that they don't really have any contact with the end user. And some of them aren't even sure what's going on out there. And that disconnect is difficult. I first read about that, man, the guy, it was a shop craft as no shop, shop craft as shoot. I'm gonna have to look it up. Uh, it's, it's as soul care shop craft as soul care from a guy who wrote about, he was, went to school, ends up in some Washington think tank, making six figures and then realizes I have no idea what I'm doing. What does this help anybody? And he went and opened up a motorcycle repair shop and he writes about that. 
uh, really interesting, but he talked about the disconnectedness that we have. So many people have, you know, with their work now, then the other piece of it, and I think we have some responses, maybe we'll get to them uh, about this are some people have found their purpose within whatever work. Let's say it is some high rise far removed from the end user, but they have found their purpose in serving the people they work with the family of coworkers and whatnot. And they have found significant serve a, a, a purpose and an interest there. I, pick your three, I, you know, as long as you got one, I, I think it's good. If you have two better, th- you know, if you have all of them, how awesome, but I do see those three exist. Is that, is that, uh, did I leave anything out? No, it's good. Uh, I love it. You know, why do we work? Is it to fulfill something in our soul? Uh, is it to solve a problem for somebody else, or is it to uh, acquire something to to do something so well that we're able to fulfill our own dream? Right? Yeah. Is it self interest? Is it for somebody else? And the reality is, is if we get focused on solving other people's problems and we get good at that, then we're gonna we're gonna fix those other two. Uh, we just had a comment by Roy Smooth. Uh, and he's from the UK. I thought I, I thought I would mention. He said, "Hey, we we, we got to have a different perspective." And so, Kevin, I want to do something that uh, we we've never ever done before. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let me just give you this idea. So Roy is a, is a musician, uh, very very creative, uh, and early in his life. Uh, he had some mentors and he started listening to some programs that really changed his thinking. And he thought, uh, how could we, uh, how could we take this musical thing and then take legendary speakers and elevate their message? And so last week I got this from him and we're working on something, but let me just play this. This is a little, we'll play about 20 seconds of it. This is a soundtrack of Zig Ziglar in a new way. Wait, wait, this one. In 399 AD, St. Augustine wrote, People travel to wonder at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars. They I just had, I just had to throw that out there. There's some uh, new drive time inspiration. I'm telling you, man, I've been listening to that uh, regularly for the last, gosh, the last week. Uh, and it gets me going. And, and, the, and the thing that I love about this idea is that you can literally reinvent any position, any job, any career, any work that you do. And you can bring meaning into it 
by combining your unique gift skills and talents with what you're doing to your ultimate purpose. So you, you may think, Oh, I just do X, right? I'm, I'm just a clerk or I just answer the phone or I just sell this. Wait a second. Who are you selling to people? And what do those people need? They need a word of encouragement, right? They need to, they need to be told you were born to win and you can do that with a smile. You can do that with a voice inflection. You can do that with a song. And so I thought uh, we would just throw this out here uh, on this Facebook live and on this, on this Ziegler show podcast. Hopefully we'll have something that we'll be able to release here in the next uh, few, maybe in next month or so. I like it. Zig on the top 40, we get Casey Kasem back and amp that (laughs) stuff up. That's right. Uh, All right. Well, I am, uh, let me, let me get it. I got another one here. An interesting one, Wayne Myers, he says, I remember going on a retreat with an old company and this was asked, this, this type of question. They asked what was important to us from the standpoint of our jobs. Money was way down the list, something around number seven. Uh, things like knowing we were making a difference, time off, and other simple things were up there on the top. My current position is one where I get to serve others and inject hope into situations. I am a financial coach. Well, yeah, I mean, lots of studies have been done on that. You know, I think appreciation, being appreciated in our work is really high up on the list. And yet, when we go into jobs, when people pursue jobs, they are generally looking at the salary, the position, you know, what are they going to be doing, the benefits packages. I mean, that is generally what they look at. And it, it, it flies in the face then of what we say we care about as stuff gets in. And how many times have we heard that where somebody, oh my gosh, I landed the great job. And then you talk to them 30 days later and it stinks because of X, Y, Z. And it's usually the environment when we don't think to do that. I mean, these kids these days go in and look for a, a, a job and they get one with a company and they never consider, Hey, what's the, I mean, what a great question. So where would I be working? Like literally where, where would I be sitting amongst what type of people, what are they doing? And how great would it be to go in and to go say, gosh, these are going to be my coworkers. Could I talk with one of them? Ask them, what's the environment like here? And the guy says, am I, this, this, man, they pay great. It's the most oppressive, oppressive place I've ever, I've ever been to free donuts. But you know, other than that, terrible. Well, that's good to know, but we don't do that. And now they do have in recent years, they have the glass door. Is that the company? It's something like that. It's a Man, it's something like, I think it's, it may be Glassdoor. I'll have to look it up here. And it's a place where people, uh, employees go and talk about a place of employment where you can find that out. So it is, it is yeah, what people care about. Uh, but man, it's still so low when we go into a job to ask those questions. And hey, Tom, I'm going to throw it to you on that. But uh, to come back to, I was trying to figure out that book earlier. It's Shop Class as Soulcraft. By Matthew Crawford book uh, came out in 2010. I read it. I recommended it to so many people. Such an interesting take on the value of work, where we find value of work and the disconnectedness we often have in the workplace and how that affects us. And he, you know, he ultimately says he feels like he gets much more intellectual stimulation working in his shop with old motorcycles than he ever did in the highfalutin, you know, think tank uh, that he got involved in. So, go ahead. You know, Seth Godin, kind of one of his uh, themes, one of his one of the things that he constantly goes over is art, craftsmanship. Yeah. Whatever you do, do it with craftsmanship. Do it with art. Do it at a at a different level 
for a higher purpose and a different reason than what everybody else does. And when you pursue that in your work, whatever your work is, then you elevate and you differentiate. You, you bring yourself, there's, you know, there's no better feeling, uh, whether you're an athlete coming off the field or off the track uh, or you're in work and you come home and you go, you know what? I gave it everything I had today. 110, you know, 100% all the way through. Yeah. And it's, what do they say is a job well done is its own reward. Uh, there is a lot to be said for that, but we're people, right? Yeah. And so we want recognition for what we do as well. That's why people stay where they're appreciated. They stay where they're recognized. They stay where they're respected. And so if you're in the workplace and you're a leader, uh, maybe you're the owner or you have a team of people, and that's the greatest thing you can do. I was, you know, going back to one of the earlier ones, I was, I was working with somebody and he said, you know, I wish, I wish my people understood how important their job is. Yeah. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the, you know, we do refrigerating and cooling and, 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 and manufacturing plants and hospitals, and it's pretty sophisticated work. So these technicians, they're kind of in the background, right? They're in the part of the building that nobody sees. Uh, and they only get noticed if things go wrong. Uh, so they don't, they don't necessarily buy into the fact that their work makes a difference. Mm. And I said, wait a second, you said hospitals and manufacturing plants. He said, yeah. I said, well, what happens if their job goes wrong? Does it, does it, will it break down? He said, yeah. So if the cooling system in a hospital, if the refrigeration system in a hospital breaks down, what happens? And you could just kind of see the smile on his face. And he said, well, yeah, that could be a real problem. People could die. And I think that's another thing is we don't step back for a minute and really realize the benefit that we provide others when we work. And when we do, that should that should let us smile a little bit more to know that somebody's going to sleep good tonight. Somebody's going to get home on time. Somebody's going to have that little extra peace and security in their soul. Uh, somebody else was talking about they work with autistic kids, yeah. uh, you know, helping teach them, man. What, what a difference that could make, you know, for that whole family that you're supporting and, and, and helping somebody grow to their potential. These are these are amazing things with benefits that can never be calculated in dollars and cents. Yeah, I saw that Alicia Neat on Facebook says I'm a paraprofessional in an autism class of eight boys in an elementary school. I don't make a lot of money. As a matter of fact, I'm so underpaid. I don't even meet the qualifications for a government funded apartment. Well, that's tragic that that sometimes some of the most meaningful things don't pay as well. And that's indicative of a lot of things. But my gosh, yeah, the fulfillment. I have met so many people so much more fulfilled in a job like that, that they care about doesn't may not pay well. Uh, and then so many people making great money that load their jobs and it's to the detriment of their relationships and health and, and, and the whole thing, such, such a significant, significant issue. Uh, Dustin Fluke here, he said, you know what, to, well, you know, let me read this, but then I want to pull out something that you said, Dustin, he says, I roast coffee. So knowing that people uh, can have real conversations and moments of connecting over a product I create brings me a joy that's often unknown. Uh, we also contribute sales of one bag of coffee to a, to a meal uh, for kids in the Dominican Republic through Trash Mountain Project. So it's almost a double bonus giving back. There are days where it's real work, but oftentimes it doesn't feel like it because I'm able to do something I love and I am very passionate about it. You know, if there's somebody listening right now that looks at their job and says, you know what, outside of the paycheck, I don't 
like the people that I work with. I don't like them. I don't want to like them. I don't like my boss. I don't like my manager. I don't care about the product or service. I don't think it's really benefiting anyone. And there, I'm sure there's some job out there that has a product or service where you could look at it and go, gosh, how does that really, you know, benefit anyone in some significant way? I appreciate, I'm going to, I'm going to uphold and honor you for doing what it takes to provide for yourself, provide for your family for that income. But that is not a way to live your life ongoing. So to do that for survival mode, while you look for something that's going to benefit you and others more, uh, that's great. Don't make it a long-term project. And yeah, for everybody right now to look down and go where, or to, 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 you know, pen and paper and go, my gosh, where is the value? What am I doing? What am I doing to help someone? And again, it doesn't have to be super altruistic. I mean, you, you and I know, you know, Dave Munson, owner of Saddleback Leather Company, how is his product in and of itself serving the world? Well, he designs and makes really high priced leather bags. They're known. They're not, they're not essential. <laughs> they're not a necessity. This did not make the essential list for COVID-19, uh, these leather bags, but he loves doing it. He loves it. It's fun. He loves employing tons of people. They have fun. He takes care of them better than other people do their employees. And he takes the proceeds, the resources of time and money that it affords him. And he and his wife go over to Africa. And I don't even know how many institutions and, and schools and people that they support over there. So for them, man, it's a whole circle of purpose and caring and fun and enjoyment, even though the product in and of itself, it is not serving uh, or saving the world. I should say it's not, but that's okay. They know how it makes sense to them. And I know a lot of people who work at stuff, man, it's just fun for them and they do a great job. I want to go buy the product from them as opposed to somebody who sees it as just a paycheck. Yeah, so Dave Munson, uh, because I have a couple of his items and they are top notch. Uh, one of the things that he does so well is he he builds a store. Yeah, there's one. There's one. Uh, That's an old one. It's a good good stuff. Uh, they have a hundred year guarantee, and one of his one of his marketing lines is uh, your your grandkids will fight over it someday. Yep, yep. They'll, fi they'll fight over it when you're dead. They'll fight over it when you're dead. Yeah. But the point is, is he crafts it where when you, when you, when you invest in this product, uh, it's like you, you can, you can see generations of memory starting to happen. Well, well, that's, that's an emotional benefit. And you know what? It is a little bit more money on the front end, but it's not disposable. I mean, this is going to go on forever. So over generations, what's the cost of it? But the big win to me is what you just said, is all of the other communities that they intentionally support in the process, from the craftsmen of Mexico uh, to, to everything that they do. And the person who you mentioned earlier who roasts the coffee, I mean, come on, nectar of the gods right there. Is there any higher calling than that? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure that there is, Tom. Uh, oh yeah, man, that's, that's great. Well, you know, on this note that we're talking about here, Brian Lynchard, and I appreciate his candor. He says, honestly, I don't find a great deal of fulfillment or interest in my work, but the hours are low enough and flexible enough and low stress enough to allow me to do other things where I do find and value, find value and fulfillment. Um, but my job is good. I will not complain about it at all. You know, to that, I would say how, how much better would it be if he did find more value and fulfillment in it? But 
some of there's a personality issues in there and some people don't want a high stress job. They want to go in, do what they know how to do, do it well, not be stressed out. And then if it does provide them the resources, again, time and money primarily to go out and, uh, and do other things that they enjoy as opposed to, let's say here's a work with a lot of meaning and fulfillment, but it, man, it's a little more taxing. They're a little more worn out afterwards. Uh, they don't have as much time to go invest there. It, you know, there's a balance I and mean, everybody's got to choose for themselves. So this is not a, I, I very much don't want this episode to be our judgment and our take on what is a worthwhile job or vocation. None of us can say only you can. We just all have to sit there and ask the questions of what we value, what gives us energy, what gives us fulfillment, uh, what, yeah, where, you know, where, where do we find the, in a sense, justification for the work we do outside of just a paycheck. And I think we are trying to elevate work above just a paycheck where we more and more culturally have gotten to where that is the focal point. I I think we all see the detriment of that. Yeah. I've got a great story along that line uh, because I totally get it. You know, if I, if I find something that I'm good at, that I can solve a problem that's valued in in society that benefits other people, that's moral and ethical, but it's not like my number one favorite thing in the world to do. Is that okay? Absolutely. It's okay. Uh, because you can still do it with a hundred percent integrity and effort and, and ethics. Right. So one of my uh, friends over in uh, Holland, uh, he was telling me about, I believe it was his father-in-law was a dentist. And his, he, he, he said, you know, I had a crisis when this is in his career. And, and, and he, and he said, you know, I'm spending my whole life uh, serving other people and, and I never see my family. Hmm. Anybody ever had that situation where you're basically giving your soul uh, to your job and it's robbing it, right? Yeah. And so this is what he did. He, he made a decision. He said, you know what? I am going to make a commitment that every time my kids are home from school, I'm home too. So he basically said that his dental practice hours were going to be the same as when his kids were in school, Right. And so he goes to his accountant because they got to plan out the budget. And he says, look, you know, based on how many hours I worked in dollar per hour in revenue, I'm going to have to be careful on my budget. And his accountant looked at him and said, no, you're not. You're going to make more money than you've ever made. So this is what's interesting. And the accountant and the person said, hey, why don't you invent your perfect office? And so he decided to make his dental practice a place of community. And so the first thing that he did is he built this huge coffee bar. Mm. And so everybody would come in for their morning appointments and they had all the cakes and coffees and everything set out. And he would, and people would sit there and drink and he'd come out and he'd have a cup of coffee with everybody before he got started. Mm. And if he saw a business person there looking at their watch, like, Hey, we need to get busy. I need to get out of here. He would simply look at them and say, I'm probably not the dentist for you. Wow. Okay. So then their practice started growing. Well, in Holland, uh, and I don't know if it's still common practice in Amsterdam or whatever it is in the U.S., if you don't show up for an appointment, like if you schedule an appointment and then no-show, a a lot of places will will charge you $100 for not coming. So he changed his policy. In his practice, if you have a no-show without telling – 
uh, then what they'll do is they'll call you and they'll leave a message like this or they'll talk to you and they'll go, uh-oh, we've got a problem. You didn't show up, so it's going to cost you. You have to bring in your mother's favorite recipe and you've got to put it in the recipe box. Sweet. So they had this community recipe box there and it started filling up, right? And of course, what are people going to think? Most people who forget an appointment, it's an honest mistake or an emergency happens. So instead of being offended and upset, they're getting charged a hundred bucks and feeling shamed. Now they're part of the family. And then they say this, if you ever no show again, your penalty is you have to cook your mother's favorite recipe and bring it in on Friday when we have potluck. So guess what happens every Friday at his place? His customers come in and hang out because they know there's going to be food there. He ended up making more money and spending time with his family. So what's the difference? And for everybody doing this, he knew what his purpose was. His work was simply providing for his purpose and his purpose was his family, his faith, and everything else. And he, and he said, you know what? Why can't I love the people I work with the same way that I love people that I do life with? And so he started treating his patients like friends, like family. Yeah. And if they didn't want to do that, that was fine. He just said, hey, <laughs> I'm not the right dentist for you. So anyway, I, 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 I understand that a lot of times we do things that's not our number one choice because it's a necessity, but we can always choose how we do that and bring value above and beyond what it is. And that'll bring meaning to our life. Well, we're back to goals. And so how many people have listed out ever? And, and if you haven't, you can do it right now. List out what would you like to have from a job? What would you like to have? And, and if money's at the top, it doesn't matter where it is. I mean, I don't think any of us want to or will work for free. Uh, so put money in there and put how much, whatever, but what else do you want? We just don't do this. And if you don't have it now, how can you get it where you're at? Uh, or if you're looking for a job and, and, you know, maybe that's going to be three jobs down the road, but at least you have a goal, a trajectory, a direction of where you're going. What do you want from your job? Just like that dentist who initially just went in and he opened a practice and he didn't do that. He didn't do that work. He didn't ask himself. He just started doing it. I've seen Randy, uh, Dr. James, your doctor and mine, do the same thing. That he opened, a pra- opened his own practice, but still went about it just the same way. And it took years for him to be now at the point of where he has it crafted after the way he wants it. He works the hours he wants. He does it the way he wants to. I'll never forget the day where he finally said, you know what? This is my office. I like wearing athletic clothes. That's what I'm going to wear. And if somebody doesn't like it, they're not a good patient for me. <laughs> and he does. Uh well, so uh, a couple more here, but man, I think we've hit the, hit the high points. Uh, Charlotte Tamayo, she says, I've been launching my virtual art studio during COVID. It's been uplifting to connect with others socially through all the different platforms. I'm ever grateful for the time to really dig in as I teach women how to become purpose-driven artists. The most exciting part of my work is transforming an inspired, crafty person into one that shines God's love from the inside out. I mean, Tom, how many people do you know with jobs, but I would say even more so as entrepreneurs, who they have a product or service, good product or service, something they believe in, but you find out it's really just a means to an end. It's just, it's a front almost to put it that way. It's a front for them to 
love on and serve people in a specific way. Yeah. You know what? I, I love those. <laughs> That's what gets me excited. I, I, uh, years ago, dad was speaking in Louisiana and we were there. Uh, I think it was in, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And somebody said, Hey, you need to go to this Italian restaurant. I can't even remember the name of it. It was a local place, kind of famous. And we go in there and it was one of those restaurants that had all the celebrity pictures on the wall. Have yeah. you ever seen those? Yeah, yeah. All the famous people and golly, it was like the who's who. So they had, you know, uh, jazz singers and all kinds of musicians, professional athletes and all that kind of stuff. And we go in and you know what? I'll tell you that on a scale of one to 10, the food was probably an eight. I mean, it was above average. It was, it was priced right. But here was the differentiator. The owner of the store, who was also a chef, uh, he came out and he would spend a couple of minutes sitting down and talking to each table. And you could tell that his whole operation was, I love people. Yep. yep. And so what he provided was an experience. Yeah. And so if we'd lived in that city, we would be eating there at least twice a month. Yeah. Right. Cause I love people too. And I'll, I want to go. That's not the same as every place else. All right. I got to give a call out for the few people that live around this area. There's a guy, Neil Levy. He uh, has been mayor of our town up here in Woodland Park, but he owns two high-end restaurants, Swiss Chalet up here, which anybody who's been to Woodland Park's probably been to Swiss Chalet. It's the nicest restaurant we have. And then he has a, a really high-end one called the Pepper Tree down in Colorado Springs. And I, I pull him out because he is in his last days, if not hours of life right now. He's in hospice uh, dying from cancer. Um, he was a, a, a fit virile guy a year ago. Uh, and he is, but that was him, Tom, that was him. I think his restaurant was a front for him to come in and love on people. He was there and he may greet you at the door. He may come over and see you. He may, if somebody's shorthanded, come over and serve your meal, but he was just there to, uh, he, he noticed everybody. He took into account everybody and he came over with a warm smile, maybe a hug and he noticed them and appreciated them. And it, it made both of the restaurants just smashing hits. It wasn't the food. Food's great. Atmosphere is great, but it was his spirit in that. And that is something we can do in every single job. Sarah Brown here, she says the company itself that she works for doesn't provide anything necessarily. However, I find value in giving others joy, helping a teenager find their first car, getting someone an upgrade on their vehicle and someone getting a brand new vehicle. Their smiles and joy make me smile. I sell luxury vehicles, Lincoln, Volvo, Mercedes Benz, as well as pre-owned vehicles for a small family owned and operated company in Mansfield, Ohio, which was the place of my childhood. It's where my grandparents lived, uh, was there. And, you know, yeah, again, is there any, if we're in a job where there's other people, there is the chance, whether it's coworkers or customers to be a light in somebody's life, admittedly harder in some aspects than others, but it is the opportunity that we all have. Um, Trey Ryder, he says my job. Now this is, we did have a handful of people talk about what the job provided them specifically, uh, you know, outside of money, things like them. He says that mine allows for personal development. I work at a post office and I deliver mail, uh, and I get to listen to five to six hours of podcasts every day. Well, how cool is that? So he's getting paid 
And while he is doing his job, he has the opportunity to learn. I mean, this is like automobile university. He has vocational university. He's getting paid and yet he has time to learn and learn. And he says, and, and with that, he's building a coaching business. Man, that's something to be grateful for. I would say I don't necessarily want to deliver mail, but now that gives me a different light on it for sure. And, and I've heard people, I'm sure you have Tom that say, gosh, my job, the commute's hard. But during that commute, I learned X back to classic automobile university. Yeah. You know, I think you go into any opportunity finding what you expect to find. Hmm. It's yeah. just one of those choices that we all have to make. And so when somebody says, Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You know, there's a famous story of a cab driver that dad talked about. Uh, he gets, you know, he didn't have education, didn't have anything. It made a choice one day to learn a new word every day. Got the Webster's dictionary, started learning the words. And before you know it, he owns the cab company. Mm -hmm. This is an old story like 30 years ago, but just an amazing story of whatever you choose to find, that's what you're going to find. And so when somebody uh, has a position where they're better than says, I love that. Yeah. Well, here, here, I'll do one more. And this kind of relates back to the guy you told the story about in the refrigeration business about how his folks are kind of removed from it. But what if they don't, you know, what if they don't uh, provide their service who, you know, people could die. Well, Timothy driver, he says, I have a full-time job as an IT manager in the healthcare industry. Even though I don't directly work with the patients, I do see that what we do affects the patients because we are taking care of those that work with them and making sure they're getting paid and the technology they use is staying up and running. Uh, and with my coaching business, it's helping individuals work their way out of debt and reach their financial dreams and goals. But actually, we had a few that talked literally about IT. Those folks are literally, are generally behind the lines. They don't see the end user end result. But yeah, just like the story you told, man, if they don't do their job well, there's going to be you know suffering on that end. Again, making that connection. And so I, I think one of the things that I want people to walk away with here, Thomas, you know, again, you've got to make your own choice. Can you make that connection? Because some people can't. And I, you know, I'll pull out as the example, Dave Munson, because I had this discussion with him, man, a long time ago. And because of exactly what I shared, he has, he gets up and spends a lot of his days designing and manufacturing and selling leather bags. He thinks it's fun. He enjoys design, but in that in and of itself, you know, he knows I'm not saving the world and my bettering mankind. Not really. I mean, he's giving people joy with something fun, but you know, whatever that, but it affords him the time. Well, he, he has his employees that he serves, their families that, that he takes care of. And then he takes his resources, he and his wife, and they go serve in Africa and other places. And I said, man, I get it. I get it. It was kind of eye opening me to me because I, on the other hand, I, I don't, and I don't have this to find out. Well, I need my work to in and of itself be that end goal. That's what motivates me and inspires me. And I struggle with the, the circle like that he has. And we sit there and talked about it. And here we are both, you know, equal peer guys. And we're looking and going, well, no right or wrong. It's just how, how does, you know, how do you tick? That's what I want people to look at. There is no, we're not talking about rights and wrongs here. We're talking about us all stepping back and considering what it is we want out of our vocation that we think that we have, what will fulfill us. Just like that, what will fulfill? Dave's fulfilled in that arena. I wouldn't be. I don't think he would enjoy. I'll never forget a good friend of mine going, my gosh, Kevin, you spend the most of your day sitting and looking at a screen. I know you're an athletic guy and you do that, but then you do. He says, I could not handle that. I got to be up and around and talking with people and doing stuff with my hands. And I said, well, go figure. I 
you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, again, not a right or wrong, but what do we need? What do we want out of our work? And, uh, and then setting that out there as the, as, as Ziegler is about as the goal, right? Tom, the destination. Absolutely. And let me just say this. Uh, a lot of people have commented to me, golly, it must be really great to work at Ziegler, you know, because you get to have fun and you get to serve people and you get to make money and it's a ministry. And so let me just say that most people, uh, they think that there's three things in life that, you know, most people would say is important. I got to, I got to earn money to, to provide for my needs and my family's needs. Okay. Obviously that's important. Second is, is ministry, whatever, whatever faith they have, they say, you know what, I need to go and, and help grow that. And, and third is I need to serve my fellow man. Okay. And a lot of times that gets combined with the ministry they're in. Well, here's what I want to tell you is in your work, if you do your work, whatever it is in the right way, you are serving and ministering at the same time. And I just want to read uh, one of the things that we just got posted on Facebook. Uh, Rachel June says, this, this is, to me, this is great. I work in the blood cancer department in a hospital, and it's a very taxing job. Mm. I mean, who is, who's going to be your customer? Somebody who's going through it, right? Yeah. But I very happily go every day there in spite of the very low pay. I mean, whatever the pay is to me, that's how could it be enough, right? Because of the amount and who you're working with. Yeah. What gets me is when I make a difference in those patients' day, that even for a day, I can make someone happy in a day and their counted days is worth it. Most of the time when I see their smile, their gratitude, or even saying you're an angel is pay enough that money, I think, doesn't really matter how much pay I get or how tired I worked that day. Every day, I'm just happy to go there, looking forward to it, and work every day knowing I can make a difference in their lives before it ends. Well, wow. I don't, I don't know how you can end hmm. something better than that. And and here's my approach: um, <laughs> the wages that we that that we are out earning, they're going to be paid out over eternity, hmm. and some of it we get to take with us. And so the question is, are we going to focus on the amount that we can't take with us? Or are we going to focus on what we can take with us? Yeah. Right. And that's work with a purpose. And so that's awesome. Hey, well, here, the, well, here, here's a good ending. And I know you know this one and a lot of people have heard it, but it's a great one to, again, just consider. This is the quote. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. And I can hear some kid, you know, who's flipping burgers somewhere, somebody doing a job going, really? Seriously? But why not have excellence in what you do? Be the best burger flipper with the cheeriest smile, who cares about his coworkers more than other, who, who cleans up when no, what nobody else sees, and he's doing it unto God. I do think about that, Tom. If I am working unto God, unto God, I'm a human here on this planet. Today is the only day that I know that I'll have. This is my next moment. And uh, I am being watched. There is a videotape on me. It's called my creator. And am I working and putting a smile on his face, making him proud, doing it to his glory? Man, that is, that is convicting. And if I'm not in, if I'm in a place, I can't do that. I need to find a way to get out of it. Amen. 
All right, let's go sweep some streets. Figuratively, you got it. figuratively speaking. All right, brother. <laughs> All right. Friends, I trust the show, again, was either confirming or convicting and possibly both. Such a massive influence on our life is the purpose that we find in our work, the place where we spend the majority of our time. Coming up in episode 809, Wired to Function Off of Joy. That's what I titled it. This is what Sam Collier believes, that we are literally wired to function off of joy. Sam was my guest in episode 807 and uh, just an incredible, incredible show that was. If you haven't heard it, please tune in. But uh, that statement that he says, wired, we're wired to function off of joy. That's a significant statement from anyone. But to me, it was a little more intriguing coming from a pastor. I didn't grow up hearing that message or witnessing such a spirit in the multitude of churches that I frequented. Uh, hearing the way Sam puts it is it's, it's infectious. Uh, this is my habits episode and Sam shares from the profound to the interesting as we get into his love of movies and music, which I, I share as well. And I ask him to give us some specifics, what he's into right now. But my focus was his, uh, his focus on the importance of recreation, fun, and laughter, even his own medicine of laughing his way out of pain. He says the best leaders have fun and enjoy themselves. When they don't have fun, they get stuck in a serious world. People who don't have fun have a hard time having hope when things get rough. And as you're going to hear in the show, that struck a chord with me as I have a tendency to be all work and no play uh, and to be just so serious and production oriented and not, again, giving attention to fun and play and, and joy. Uh, he said, every decision you make every day determines your destiny. Choose wisely. Don't underestimate the power of having a good time. Okay. That's, that's not a message we hear that often, especially from the pulpit. Not that he was in one, but uh, folks, just an incredible show till then. Thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs> 